section seventeen of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six continued part five shakespeare's contemporaries and successors in the drama decline of the drama it was inevitable that the drama should decline after shakespeare for the simple reason that there was no other great enough to fill his place aside from this other causes were at work and the chief of these was at the very source of the elizabethan dramas it must be remembered that our first playwrights wrote to please their audiences that the drama rose in england because of the desire of a patriotic people to see something of the stirring life of the times reflected on the stage for there were no papers or magazines in those days and people came to theatres not only to be amused but to be informed like children they wanted to see a story acted and like men they wanted to know what it meant shakespeare fulfilled their desire he gave them their story and his genius was great enough to show in every play not only their own life and passions but something of the meaning of all life and of that eternal justice which uses the war of human passions for its own great ends thus good and evil mingle freely in his dramas but the evil is never attractive and the good triumphs as inevitably as fate though his language is sometimes coarse we are to remember that it was the custom of his age to speak somewhat coarsely and that in language as in thought and feeling shakespeare is far above most of his contemporaries with his successors all this was changed the audience itself had gradually changed and in place of plain people eager for a story and for information we see a larger and larger proportion of those who went to the play because they had nothing else to do they wanted amusement only and since they had blunted by idleness the desire for simple and wholesome amusement they called for something more sensational shakespeare's successors catered to the depraved tastes of this new audience they lacked not only shakespeare's genius but his broad charity his moral insight into life with the exception of ben jonson they neglected the simple fact that man in his deepest nature is a moral being and that only a play which satisfies the whole nature of man by showing the triumph of the moral law can ever wholly satisfy an audience or a people beaumont and fletcher forgetting the deep meaning of life strove for effect by increasing the sensationalism of their plays webster reveled in tragedies of blood and thunder massinger and ford made another step downward producing evil and licentious scenes for their own sake making characters and situations more immoral till notwithstanding these dramatists ability the stage had become insincere frivolous and bad ben jonson's ode come leave the loathed stage is the judgment of a large and honest nature grown weary of the plays and the players of the time we read with a sense of relief that in sixteen forty two only twenty-six years after shakespeare's death both houses of parliament voted to close the theatres as breeders of lies and immorality ben jonson fifteen seventy three question mark sixteen thirty seven personally johnson is the most commanding literary figure among the elizabethans 
for twenty-five years he was the literary dictator of london the chief of all the wits that gathered nightly at the old devil tavern with his great learning his ability and his commanding position as poet laureate he set himself squarely against his contemporaries and the romantic tendency of the age for two things he fought bravely to restore the classic form of the drama and to keep the stage from its downward course apparently he failed the romantic school fixed its hold more strongly than ever the stage went swiftly to an end as sad as that of the early dramatists nevertheless his influence lived and grew more powerful till aided largely by french influence it resulted in the so-called classicism of the eighteenth century life johnson was born at westminster about the year fifteen seventy three his father an educated gentleman had his property confiscated and was himself thrown into prison by queen mary so we infer the family was of some prominence from his mother he received certain strong characteristics and by a single short reference in johnson's works we are led to see the kind of woman she was it is while johnson is telling drummond of the occasion when he was thrown into prison because some passages in the comedy of eastward ho gave offence to king james and he was in danger of a horrible death after having his ears and nose cut off he tells us how after his pardon he was banqueting with his friends when his old mother came in and showed a paper full of lusty strong poison which she intended to mix with his drink just before the execution and to show that she was no churl she intended first to drink of the poison herself the incident is all the more suggestive from the fact that chapman and marston one his friend and the other his enemy were first cast into prison as the authors of eastward ho and rough ben jonson at once declared that he too had had a small hand in the writing and went to join them in prison johnson's father came out of prison having given up his estate and became a minister he died just before the son's birth and two years later the mother married a bricklayer of london the boy was sent to a private school and later made his own way to westminster school where the sub-master camden struck by the boy's ability taught and largely supported him for a short time he may have studied at the university in cambridge but his stepfather soon set him to learning the bricklayer's trade he ran away from this and went with the english army to fight spaniards in the low countries his best-known exploit there was to fight a duel between the lines with one of the enemy's soldiers while both armies looked on johnson killed his man and took his arms and made his way back to his own lines in a way to delight the old norman troubadours he soon returned to england and married precipitately when only nineteen or twenty years old five years later we find him employed like shakespeare as actor and reviser of old plays in the theatre thereafter his life is a varied and stormy one he killed an actor in a duel and only escaped hanging by pleading benefit of clergy but he lost all his poor goods and was branded for life on his left thumb in his first great play every man in his humor fifteen ninety eight shakespeare acted one of the parts and that may have been the beginning of their long friendship 
other plays followed rapidly upon the accession of james johnson's masks won him royal favor and he was made poet laureate he now became undoubted leader of the literary men of his time though his rough honesty and his hatred of the literary tendencies of the age made him quarrel with nearly all of them in sixteen sixteen soon after shakespeare's retirement he stopped writing for the stage and gave himself up to study and serious work in sixteen eighteen he traveled on foot to scotland where he visited drummond from whom we have the scant records of his varied life his impressions of this journey called foot pilgrimage were lost in a fire before publication thereafter he produced less and his work declined in vigor but in spite of growing poverty and infirmity we notice in his later work especially in the unfinished sad shepherd a certain mellowness and tender human sympathy which were lacking in his earlier productions he died poverty-stricken in sixteen thirty seven unlike shakespeare's his death was mourned as a national calamity and he was buried with all honor in westminster abbey on his grave was laid a marble slab on which the words o rare ben jonson were his sufficient epitaph works of ben jonson johnson's work is in strong contrast with that of shakespeare and of the later elizabethan dramatists alone he fought against the romantic tendency of the age and to restore the classic standards thus the whole action of his drama usually covers only a few hours or a single day he never takes liberties with historical facts as shakespeare does but is accurate to the smallest detail his dramas abound in classic learning are carefully and logically constructed and comedy and tragedy are kept apart instead of crowding each other as they do in shakespeare and in life in one respect his comedies are worthy of careful reading they are intensely realistic presenting men and women of the time exactly as they were from a few of johnson's scenes we can understand better than from all the plays of shakespeare how men talked and acted during the age of elizabeth every man in his humor johnson's first comedy every man in his humor is a key to all his dramas the word humor in his age stood for some characteristic whim or quality of society johnson gives to his leading character some prominent humor exaggerates it as the cartoonist enlarges the most characteristic feature of a face and so holds it before our attention that all other qualities are lost sight of which is the method that dickens used later in many of his novels every man in his humor was the first of three satires its special aim was to ridicule the humors of the city the second cynthia's revels satirizes the humors of the court while the third the poet taster the result of a quarrel with his contemporaries was leveled at the false standards of the poets of the age the three best known of johnson's comedies are volpone or the fox the alchemist and epicoene or the silent woman volpone is a keen and merciless analysis of a man governed by an overwhelming love of money for its own sake 
the first words in the first scene are a key to the whole comedy volpone good morning to the day and next my gold open the shrine that i may see my saint mosca withdraws a curtain and discovers piles of gold plate jewels etc hail the world's soul and mine volpone's method of increasing his wealth is to play upon the avarice of men he pretends to be at the point of death and his suitors who know his love of gain and that he has no heirs endeavor hypocritically to sweeten his last moments by giving him rich presents so that he will leave them all his wealth the intrigues of these suitors furnish the story of the play and show to what infamous depths avarice will lead a man the alchemist is a study of quackery on one side and of gullibility on the other founded on the medieval idea of the philosopher's stone note a similar story of quackery is found in chaucer the canon's yeoman's tale end of note and applies as well to the patent medicines and get-rich-quick schemes of our day as to the peculiar forms of quackery with which johnson was more familiar in plot and artistic construction the alchemist is an almost perfect specimen of the best english drama it has some remarkably good passages and is the most readable of johnson's plays epicoene or the silent woman is a prose comedy exceedingly well constructed full of life abounding in fun and unexpected situations here is a brief outline from which the reader may see of what materials johnson made up his comedies the silent woman the chief character is morose a rich old codger whose humor is a horror of noise he lives in a street so narrow that it will admit no carriages he pads the doors plugs the keyhole puts mattresses on the stairs he dismisses a servant who wears squeaky boots makes all the rest go about in thick stockings and they must answer him by signs since he cannot bear to hear anybody but himself talk he disinherits his poor nephew eugenie and to make sure that the latter will not get any money out of him resolves to marry his confidant in this delicate matter is cutbeard the barber who unlike his kind never speaks unless spoken to and does not even nick his scissors as he works cutbeard who is secretly in league with the nephew tells him of epicoene a rare silent woman and morose is so delighted with her silence that he resolves to marry her on the spot cutbeard produces a parson with a bad cold who can speak only in a whisper to marry them and when the parson coughs after the ceremony morose demands back five shillings of the fee to save it the parson coughs more and is hurriedly bundled out of the house the silent woman finds her voice immediately after the marriage begins to talk loudly and to make reforms in the household driving morose to distraction a noisy dinner party from a neighboring house with drums and trumpets and a quarreling man and wife is skillfully guided in at this moment to celebrate the wedding morose flees for his life and is found perched like 
like a monkey on a cross-beam in the attic with all his nightcaps tied over his ears he seeks a divorce but is driven frantic by the loud arguments of a lawyer and a divine who are no other than cutbeard and a sea captain disguised when morose is past all hope the nephew offers to release him from his wife and her noisy friends if he will allow him five hundred pounds a year morose offers him anything everything to escape his torment and signs a deed to that effect then comes the surprise of the play when eugenie whips the wig from epicoene and shows a boy in disguise it will be seen that the silent woman with its rapid action and its unexpected situations offers an excellent opportunity for the actors but the reading of the play as most of johnson's comedies is marred by low intrigues showing a sad state of morals among the upper classes besides these and many other less known comedies johnson wrote two great tragedies seianus and catiline upon severe classic lines after ceasing his work for the stage johnson wrote many masks in honor of james i and of queen anne to be played amid elaborate scenery by the gentlemen of the court the best of these are the satyr the panades mask of blackness mask of beauty hue and cry after cupid and the mask of queens in all his plays johnson showed a strong lyric gift and some of his little poems and songs like the triumph of charis drink to me only with thine eyes and to the memory of my beloved mother are now better known than his great dramatic works a single volume of prose called timber or discoveries made upon men and matter is an interesting collection of short essays which are more like bacon's than any other work of the age end of section seventeen